0: anything full of such beauty, our story of adopting is rooted in the healing and redemptive power of the Lord's plan. We longed to be mom and dad, and we thought we knew what that would look like, but in God's infinite wisdom and goodness, he decided to write our story a bit differently. Psalm 139 has this powerful verse about God knitting together a new baby. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be I remember reading that, and the Holy Spirit just hitting me and saying to Mike, we can make our own plans, but the Lord already knows how our family will grow, and if it's not His plan, it's not going to happen. So from that moment, we both really leaned into that truth um, and started listening more and more to what He had for us.
1: As we opened ourselves up uh, to God and what He was doing and leading us in our lives, we wrestled, uh, listened, prayed with Him, He drew us. Uh, Individually, he chose as a couple towards something that he loves, uh, which is adoption. And we're so glad that he did, because Brayden, uh, he is the best gift for us.
0: God knew us so well, and knew Brayden is everything our hearts long for and more. Um, We are out of our mind obsessed with our sweet boy. And adoption is this way of multiplying your gratitude, your joy, your love we have this unique perspective of knowing that if we hadn't listened to God's voice, we could have missed out on Brayden. Sometimes we think about Brayden being in this world and not being our son, and that just wrecks us. The Lord's plan is so great and so beautiful, and we know that Brayden was the Lord's good and perfect gift to us, and we are so honored and privileged that his birth mom uh, entrusted him to us.
1: There's this rich spiritual blessing that comes with adoption. It's hard to really articulate well, it just feels right uh, deep in your soul. I think that's because adoption is so central to what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, He brings us into his family and calls us his sons and daughters and now we get to do that uh, with Braden. And it's given us such joy and such peace uh, as we've done so. That's
0: why we can't wait to adopt again. We are praying for the birth mom that the Lord already knows is going to lovingly and courageously make us mom and dad again.
1: We don't think our story is unique or God's call to us is special. He knows your story. He knows your family, what will happen in the next one, five, or ten years.
0: So find a way to listen to his voice. Um, Even if you're not currently considering adoption, open up your heart to that possibility and Take time to discover how God may be aligning your heart to beat for adoption the way that his heart beats for adoption.
1: And then don't overthink it. Don't overpray it. Our hunch is he is calling more and more families and realize it to adopt. Once you realize it's you and your family, then do it. Just go for it.
0: Go for it. <laughs>
2: everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. I welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Um, I love that video. I love it uh, partly because I love Mike and Christina, but I also uh, love the whole picture of adoption. When Christina said that, uh, I can't imagine uh, Braden being in the world and not being our son. And we just got through with the Ephesians series, where that's the way God speaks about you. That It says that God adopts you as his son, his daughter, because he chose you. So I love that picture. I love that it's uh, our church's, part of our church's response to the sanctity of human life issue. I love it that our church is passionate enough about adoption that we have an adoption fund to help people who are wanting to adopt. So if you are wanting to adopt a child, then please talk to us uh, because we would love to help in any way we can. All right. Very cool. Okay. Uh, I have a little bit of family news because uh, this past week was Thanksgiving week. And so on Monday night, we delivered our Thanksgiving baskets and we actually set a record for our church. Uh, 1,561 baskets were delivered Monday night. Yeah, thanks. That means that uh, roughly 15,000 people had a Thanksgiving feast because of you. And I love that. Now, uh, I got a text uh, after 9.30 Monday night that said the last basket had left the building. And I actually expected that text three hours earlier. And what happened was that uh, at about 6 o'clock, when our volunteers that were here during that time were just about ready to finish up, we got word from one of our ministry partners, uh, Try Truly Reaching You. They're a a ministry that uh, helps people who are coming out of prison to get back on their feet. They contacted us at 6 o'clock and said, we need 47 more baskets. Can you help us? And there was some discussion about whether we should just give them gift cards uh, because we didn't have 47 more baskets. But our volunteers said, no, let's do this. So every single one of them stayed. and We sent teams out uh, to all these grocery stores because no one grocery store would have enough to fill 47 baskets. We sent a couple to the Acme right down the road here, and they bought every single pie that they had. And so all these teams went out, and they got all the stuff, and they brought it back, and eight o'clock, they reassembled these 47 baskets, and those went out. I love, yeah, thanks. I love our church, and you guys are at your very best at times like that, so thanks. Uh, I have a couple of stories that have been coming in about those baskets. We have a a teacher at a local school here who asked for two baskets for two of her students because she felt like they could use it. And she said on Tuesday, one of the students came in, and he was always very quiet, very reserved, hardly ever spoke. And he came in Tuesday morning and was bubbling over. And he told her, hey, somebody, you won't believe this, but these people showed up at our house, and they had this big tub of food. And my dad and I spent all night pulling things out and going, can you believe this? Look at this. He said, we even got aluminum foil. Can you believe it? (laughs) And there was another, the other child came in, and he said, you won't believe this, They, they brought a tub of food that was enough for our whole neighborhood. And my mom knew of some people that weren't gonna have Thanksgiving that lived near us, and she invited them to have Thanksgiving with us. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to quit clapping. All right. Um, now, uh, most of you are, you should have gotten one of these cards on your way in. If Thanksgiving is uh, Thanksgiving baskets, are like one big splash on a single day last Monday, then these things are like uh, raindrops are going to fall over the next six weeks. If you are new to our church, you've never been a part of this, uh, what we try to do uh, from now until Christmas is blanket this area with 10,000 acts of random kindness and generosity. Uh, And we hand these cards, we use these cards to do it, because we do something kind or generous to a stranger, we give them this card. So we do a lot of serious things in our church. Adoption is a serious thing. Trying to, to rescue people out of human trafficking, very serious thing. A lot of justice and mercy, serious things. This is just fun. It's just fun. So take a few of these cards, go do something generous or kind to a stranger, and have fun, and let God fill you with joy that you should have this season. All right? Okay. This week and next week, uh, we're going to be talking about the last part of the reason that our church exists. We have a purpose statement. And our purpose statement is we exist to help people come to know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Jesus, and then serve him daily. And we're going to talk about serving him this week and next week. You know, most churches, those three things, knowing, growing, serving— Uh, work kind of in an inverted pyramid, where there are a lot of people that know Jesus. There are fewer people who are actively growing in their faith and their understanding of Jesus, and there are fewer still who actually serve Jesus, which is why there's a saying that goes around churches that says that 20% of the people in any given church do 80% of the work. I don't know if that's true with our church, because you guys are so great at serving, but it makes sense Because when you're coming to know Jesus, you are just starting to understand the love of God for you. That his love for you is not based on you or what you do or how you behave or whatever. It is based solely on him, and he offers his love to you through Jesus as as a perfect gift. And then when you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, you're learning more about that love, the one who loves you, and what that love does to you deep down. And then when you are serving, when you finally get to the place where you are serving Jesus, you are responding to that love because you feel like you want to do something to this one who has loved you so deeply. So know, grow, serve is a progression. It's the journey of the Christian life. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the reason to serve. Next week we're going to talk about the power to serve. First, the reason to serve. Uh, I read a verse this week. And it kind of surprised me. It's a verse that I found in in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let me read it for you. I'll tell you why it surprised me. This is what it says. It's verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? It says to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul. The reason that surprised me is because there's other parts in Scripture where it says you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, but here it says you serve the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul. It seems like Scripture uses those two words interchangeably, love and serve, which kind of makes sense because you can serve someone without loving them, but you cannot love someone without serving them. You cannot love someone Without serving them. So uh, I'm going to use those words interchangeably, too. Here are my three points that I want to cover this morning. Why we love God, number one. How we love God, number two. And what happens when we love God? I could have said why we serve God, how we serve God, and what happens when we serve God. First, why we love God. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Karen, for 38 years which is a wonderfully long time to be married. And throughout our relationship, uh, my love for her has gone through stages, uh, three distinct stages. I think think her love for me has stayed pretty much constant because she was more mature than I was when we got married, and she's still probably more mature. But these are the stages I went through. The first stage, stage one, happened when we were courting. When I was courting my wife Karen, when we were in college, I, I tried to watch her closely to find out things that she liked, and I wanted to try to find out things that she liked that I could afford, which made it kind of difficult. But I found out that she liked these. She liked Tootsie Pops, but not just any kind of Tootsie Pop. She only liked one kind of Tootsie Pop. She liked caramel-flavored Tootsie Pops, which I don't even know if they make anymore. I haven't seen them, but back then they did. And they cost a nickel. And our student union store had them. So sometimes on my way to class, I would run by the student union, and I'd run in and buy a Tootsie Pop for a nickel, put it in my pocket. And then when I saw Karen, I'd fish it out of my pocket and say, hey, this is for you. (laughs) Wildly romantic, I know. Uh, There were times when I would carry her book bag, particularly when it was heavy, I would carry it for her across campus or to class. When we ate together in the dining commons, after we'd finished, I would take her dishes and I'd put them on my tray, and then I would stack our trays, and I would take up the trays together so that she wouldn't have to. Anybody who watched us during that time looked at her and thought, what a lucky girl. (laughs) Maybe not everybody, maybe just me. I thought she was lucky. That was stage one. Stage two, I entered into after we got married, and I call that my uh, the easy chair stage. And I'd be sitting in my chair watching TV, and I would hear her come in with the groceries after grocery shopping, and I would do something like this: I would go, "Hey, that yeah, it took a while. <laughs> uh, hey, did you get that cereal that I? Oh, you're the best. You're the best." And then they, she would ask me to take the trash out. Sometimes, sometimes I'd remember. But sometimes I'd forget. Those were great years. (laughs) That was stage two. Now we're in stage three. And uh, what I love to do in stage three is I get up earlier than Karen. I get up uh, pretty early in the morning, and I make coffee. And then I, uh, I bring it up to her. I put it in this carafe. And then I bring it up to her room, to our room. And my big challenge in the morning, in the dark, is to put it on her nightstand without making a noise because I don't want to wake her up. So I have to tilt it like this, and I put the first the edge down, and then I tilt it, and I do the same thing with the cup, and I put it very quietly, and I slide it over to her. That way, when she wakes up, she looks over and she has coffee because there's nothing she likes more than having coffee in bed. Uh, sometimes I try to do the same thing when I empty the dishwasher. Uh, I try to do it very quietly so that it surprises her when she opens the dishwasher and all the dishes are put away. We play a game on Tuesdays when we go out to lunch on my day off. I always pay for our lunch in cash. And uh, there are times when I need a little bit more cash in order to round out the tip. And the game we play is whatever she gives me, whether it's a 10 or a 5 or even just a couple of ones, I have to give her a 20 in return. Right? She loves that game. And uh, You know, it's just the game because she knows it's just as much her money as it is mine, but she likes it when I slide the 20 over to her and I delight to see her like that. All right, those are the three stages. Stage one, I served in order to get love. I served in order to get her to love me. Stage two, I quit serving because I got love. And stage three, I am finally learning to serve the one I love. Those are the three stages. You are at one of those stages with God right now. Some of you are serving God in order to get love which means that you are serving him out of duty or you are serving him in hopes that he will bless you. You are trying to make yourself more attractive to him so that you serve him in order to get his love. And if you're doing that, you don't really understand the gospel yet. Because the gospel says that you are loved not because of what you do, but because of who Jesus is. You are loved not just for what, you, not for what you do, but for what he has done for you. It is by grace you are saved, not by works, not by anything you have done. That's the gospel. And so if you are trying to make yourself more attractive to God through serving and trying to get him to love you, you don't yet understand the gospel. Some of you are in stage two where you're not serving because you have love. And you do understand the gospel, and you understand you have received Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. He has done something for you. And even your prayers are a little bit like the way I talked to Karen when I was in stage two. You say to God, hey, did you do this? Oh, you did. Thanks. You're the best. You're the best. Thank you for this meal. And then you go back to your easy chair. Some of you are in that stage. And then there are some of you who are in the stage where you are learning to love, you're learning to serve the one you love. Because you are secure in his love, you're no longer trying to earn his love. You understand the gospel, but it's gone deep enough inside of you where there's something inside of you that longs to serve him, to do something for him. Right? So every opportunity you see, you end up trying to do for him. And when the offering plate passes, you, you love that moment because it's your time to slide like money across. And you and God both understand that it's his money, but you love to give it back to him because it makes him happy. That's the answer to the why question. It's why you are serving if you are serving. It's why you're not serving if you are not serving. Because that's why any of us love God. Right? Second point. How we love God. There's a passage in uh, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus uh, teaches a lot the last week of his life. I mean, he dies on a Friday... He's crucified. Uh, On Sunday, the previous Sunday, he goes into Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. And in between that Sunday and that Friday, he teaches a ton in the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the things he teaches in Matthew 25 is about the last judgment, when all of us will stand before God. And this is what Jesus says When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the, one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Uh, it's kind of fascinating to me, because uh, whenever I think of doing homage to a king, to a great king, or paying tribute to a great king, I think of what uh, the Queen of Sheba did for King Solomon. You know, scripture says the Queen of Sheba came out of the south to go visit King Solomon. When she did, she brought caravans of treasure for King Solomon. And she gave it, she wanted to give it to him. She didn't give it to his subject. She gave it to him because that's the way you pay homage to a great king. But here Jesus says there's going to come a time when we pay homage to God as king. And when we pay homage to God as king, he's going to see what we, how we treated other people and that will actually be the homage, the tribute that we pay him. So he connects the way that we love other people, serve other people, to how we love and serve him. And that really shouldn't surprise me because earlier in the Gospels, Jesus is asked by a religious leader, what's the most important commandment? What is the most important commandment? Jesus goes, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to go, whoa, wait a minute. We asked for the greatest commandment, singular you just slid in too. Because Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Why did Jesus do that? We did it because the best way to love God is to love your neighbor. The best way to love your neighbor is to love God. You cannot separate those two. Jesus would not separate those. So the key in how we love God really comes in verse 40 where he says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, in the answer to the question, how do we love God? First, we need to love the ones Jesus loved. Love who Jesus loved. And when you look in the Gospels, you see the way Jesus loved people. I mean, he might love everyone, but it seemed like in the Gospels, he paid particular attention and gave particular affection to those who were broken those who were hurting, those who were forgotten, those who were despised. In fact, in in Matthew chapter 25, that's what he says, that when you saw somebody who was thirsty, somebody who was hungry, somebody who was in prison, somebody who was sick, somebody who was lonely, somebody who was despised, and you went to them, it was like you did it to me. If you ever want to know why our church is so involved with ministries like Rahab Ministries, that ministers to women who have been trafficked, why our church is so involved with the refugees down in Akron, where we have, we have an English class that some of our people teach that has over 70 refugees in it trying to learn English, English because we want to be the ones that welcome them to this country. If you want to know why our church is so involved and so passionate about something like Restore, which will be a, a recovery treatment center for the opiate epidemic, if you want to know why our church is involved with urban vision, ministering to kids in the inner city, if you want to know why we have a chapel called Restoration Chapel and a detention center in Cleveland, it's because here at this church, we want to love who Jesus loves. And when Jesus tells us who he loves, he always talks about the broken, the hurting, the forgotten, the despised. And as much as we love them, we love him. That's the first thing. The second thing is, in answer to the question of how you love God, you need to give what Jesus would give. All right, when, when I think about Jesus in the Gospels, whenever Jesus saw a need, he, he met that need. Right, he went around. He, in fact, Jesus ends up pouring himself out when he saw you in need. He gave everything he had. That's what Philippians 2 says, that he emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that you might be united to God, it cost him everything. Of course, the question then is, if Jesus had what you have, what would Jesus give from what you got? And right? if Jesus had your education, your talents, your resources, your money, what would he do? And Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty to move you from chair number two back to chair number one, where you're going to be, oh gosh, I got to do this because I'm trying to earn God's love. That's not it. What I'm telling you is, you cannot love someone without serving them. And what I'm, what I'm calling you to do is to love Jesus, because Jesus says, in the way that you love them, you love me. In the way you love them, you love me. The final thing, if we're going to how we love God, is that we need to do what Jesus would do. Like Jesus went, and he says, when you go, when you give someone who is thirsty, water. When you give somebody who is hungry food, when you, give, when you visit somebody in prison, when you do these things, you are loving me. You are imitating me. So when, uh, when people knocked on 1,561 doors Monday night, and people opened that door, and they saw a couple of people from our church with a tub of food those people standing at their door were saying this. We love you because we love Jesus. We give to you because Jesus gave to us. We do this because Jesus would do this for us. Because as much as we do it to you, we do it to him. That's how we love Jesus. The final point is what happens when we love God? What happens when we love him? Uh, Jesus' most famous sermon was the Sermon on the Mount. That happens in uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's where there's that iconic phrase, you are the salt of the earth. And uh, when Jesus, right after Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. You're like a city set on a hill. You're like light that will shine. And when you do something for someone out of love for me, then it will be like a spark against a night sky. And the thing that will light up is God himself. So what Jesus is saying is that, you know, last Monday, 1,561 times a door was opened and people were standing there with a tub of food. That light went off. What Jesus is saying is that when we start to hand out those just-because cards, and we do that 10,000 times every time that somebody gets an oversized tip or 10,000 times in restaurants or gas stations or on plates of cookies, then little sparks of light are going come come, to go off. And those little sparks of light somehow are going to give glory to God. And the question is, how? How's that work? How's it work that the things you do, the good works you do, actually reflect and show people God? This is how. Uh, you ever walk along a beach? You're walking along a beach, and a couple people are looking out into the ocean. Nobody stops. Everybody just keeps walking. But if 50 people are looking out in the ocean, everybody stops. Everybody stops and starts to look because they want to see what those people are seeing. They want to look where those people are looking. If just 10 people are serving God by loving other people in that way, like Jesus, giving what Jesus would give, nobody's going to stop. But if 5,000 people are loving Jesus and serving other people, giving what Jesus would give, doing what Jesus would do, everybody's going to stop. People will look where you're looking. People want to see what you're seeing. Here's the thing. so When you are ready in this progression of the Christian journey, after you understand the depth of the love of God for you, that God demonstrated his love toward you, and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, when that love goes deep enough inside of you where you begin to long to do something for him out of response to that love, then this is your time. And it doesn't have to be in one of the the formal kind of ways that we serve in the different kind of ministries, but we have tons of ministries you can get involved in. But it can happen in your home. It can happen in your school. It can happen at your workplace where you live in such a way and you serve in such a way and you give in such a way that the people around you start to go, I want to see what they see. I want to look at what they're looking at. And they will begin to give glory to God. (laughs) God intends for us to be changed on the inside by his love and then begin to love other people in such a way that they begin to be attracted to the God that has saved us. And that's why in Deuteronomy he says, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and then to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And when you do, the world will begin to change around you. Transformed. 2018. Through serving. That's the reason we serve. Next week, we're going to talk about the power to serve. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you, and oh, I want to be someone who loves you. I want to be somebody who sees uh, opportunities around me uh, with the people uh, that are in need. I want to be able to see those who other people don't see and love them the way you love them. And I want to be a part of uh, a whole group of people, this group of people, that will do the same thing. I pray that your love will go so deep inside of each one of us that we will long, we will begin to long to do something for you to give the way you give, to do what you have done for us. And as we do, I pray that we will be like a city on a hill, and that the light will give you glory, and people will look where we look and see what we see. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.